So I've got two more uh, messages in this series, The Overcoming Life. Next week is called Overcoming Sickness. I want to talk about how God heals. God doesn't just rubber stamp healing. There's different reasons that we get sick, and for that reason, there are different ways that God heals. But I want to talk about overcoming sickness. And so I want you, if, if you have illness, maybe there's genetic illness, we're going to talk about genetic illness next week and, and what the Bible says about it and our birthright as believers to be whole and to be healed. And so we're going to talk about sickness. So if, if you have something or maybe you know of someone and they've been praying for you know to be healed or something, it'd be a good time for them to come to church with you, for you to invite a friend because we're believing God. And in fact, all the intercessors I'm asking you this week, if you would, say special prayers for the services next weekend that God's power would be present to heal and that many people would be set free uh, from illness. And so this week is overcoming comparison. I want to talk about the issue of comparison. And I, I selected this specifically for Mother's Day, not that it's just only for mothers because all of us compare. I'm talking about comparing in bad ways. Uh, but women, women are a little different than men. Women have some special challenges in this area. You know, if, if two men show up someplace wearing the same thing, we think that's cool. You know, we, we celebrate that. It's like, hey, Bob, you know, you got the memo. <laughs> you know, we, we just kind of think that's cool. Two women show up wearing the same thing. Someone's going to get scratched. <laughs> There's going to be a cat fight guaranteed right there now. It's, they don't like that kind of stuff. So... They don't, want, they don't want anybody comparing with them. So comparison, this is a story from the, from the Bible. This is Jesus and his disciples. Now, this is after the resurrection, the story we're going to read. This is the third time that Jesus is appearing to his disciples. And one of the things that we're going to see in this story is he's, he's restoring Peter. Now, Peter denounced Christ. He, he you know, denied him. Uh, and remember, he, Jesus said, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows. And so he did. And so now he's restoring Peter in this scene, but you're going to see some very unhealthy comparison going on here. John 21, this is verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, uh, who is one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went about among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And so Jesus is trying to settle accounts with Peter, and he's doing it publicly. 
because he wants all the disciples to see now that everything's going to be okay with Peter. And there's a word game going on here that we don't pick up on in the English. Jesus looks at Peter and says to him, do you agape me? Do you love me? Agape love does not require emotion. It's the, it's the deepest type of love. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I'm making a commitment to you, and I love you no matter what. And Jesus looks at Peter and said, do you love me? And Peter said, I phileo you. That means friendship. That means fond affection. I, I have warm feelings for you, Jesus. The second time, Jesus said, do you agape me, Peter? And Peter said, I phileo you. I have affection for you, Jesus. The third time, Jesus comes down to Peter's level. Aren't you glad that God comes down to our level? He said, okay, then do you phileo me? And Peter said, you know all things, Lord. You know that I phileo you. And he said, tend my lambs. And the point is, all ministry flows out of love. Everything that we do for God is not because we have to, it's because we get to. Everything that we do for God is because we just simply love him. All pure ministry, all pure service flows out of love, and Jesus wants that to be the foundation. And by the way, when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these? We don't know what that means. It could be, do you love me more than these men love me? Or do you love me more than you love your friends, these men? Or do you love me more than these fish? It could mean any of them. The point is, you have to love God first. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to love me more than anyone else. And out of that love, I want you to serve me and I want you to take care of my sheep. Now, the thing that happens here in this exchange is Jesus tells Peter how he's gonna die. And this is kind of, this is a little bit of a shocker. He said, you know, Peter, when you were younger, you went where you wanted to go. But when you get older, someone's gonna take you and they're gonna lead you where you don't wanna go. And he said this to signify what kind of death that Peter would glorify God. There's a book called The Fisherman's Tomb and they say that they have found Peter's bones. And Peter's bones were the bones of a 65-year-old robust man who had been brutally murdered. The church legend tells us that he was crucified upside down. They were going to crucify him, and he said, I don't want to be crucified like my Lord, I'm not worthy. So they crucified him upside down. So Jesus is telling him here how he's going to die. And you say, well, why would, why would the Lord do that? Well, it was the threat of martyrdom that he caused him to deny Jesus in the first place. And so Jesus is telling him right up front, now, you know, you, you were a coward before. When the little girl and the people at the campfire asked if you belong to me and you denied me, he's saying to him here, you're going to have to count the cost. I want to know right up front, are you willing to die? Because this is the way you're going to die. And I, I think another reason that Jesus did it was to provoke this response. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. Jesus says to him, you're going to die a bad death. Someone's going to do to you what you don't want done. And immediately, and, and this is John now, remember this is John's gospel, immediately Peter turned to John and pointed at him and said, tell me how he's going to die. Now you know that he's not wanting to hear, oh, John's going to live a long time, he's going to hit the lottery and he's going to die someday, an old man, happy man, happy man. That's, that's not what he's wanting to hear. He's wanting to hear, John's going to die a worse death Peter is so bad, I don't even want to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. That's the way we are. We, you know, we're happiest when we're at an advantage. But we're miserable when we're disadvantaged. And we begin to compare in unhealthy ways. And by the way, there's a, there's a huge rivalry here between Peter and John. This is Mother's Day, so this is interesting. In Matthew 20, James and John were two of the disciples, and they were brothers. They were called the sons of thunder. Okay, 
their mother came to Jesus and knelt down before him and said, I have a request of you, Lord. And the Lord said, what's your request? She said, I want my sons to sit one on your left hand and one on your right hand when you come into, in, into your kingdom. The disciples deeply resented it, the Bible says. So his mother came. They probably asked his father, and he said, no way, I'm not doing that. And the mother said, I'll take you. Come on, boys. <laughs> and then John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. That's got to be annoying to the other guys. <laughs> are, you, are you implying that he doesn't love us? The disciple whom Jesus loved and he was leaning on the breast of Jesus during the Last Supper. And don't you know the other disciples were going, look at mama's boy down there. You know. So there's this huge rivalry going on between Peter and John, just this tension here. And Peter doesn't want anything bad to happen to him unless it happens to John also. And Jesus has zero tolerance for comparison. And Peter turns and says, what about that man? And Jesus says, oh, I think he may live forever. <laughs> Just rubbing salt in the one. If I want him to live forever, what is that to you? What zero tolerance for comparison. And the rumor went around that John wouldn't die, but that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is stop comparing, Peter. It's the secret to a miserable life. The torment of comparison is perpetual and God's only answer is to stop. But we're all like that. I mean, we all compare to some level and you say, well, you know, how, why do we do it? You know, how do, how do we, you know, deal with people correctly and all that? Let me say this, a positive, when you're comparing yourself positively and there is positive comparison, it's inspirational. And you look at a person, they're a great mom. They're a great dad. They have a great marriage. You know, they have a great ministry, whatever. And you look at that person and you say, you know, they really inspire me to be a better person. You always know good comparison because it's inspirational and you can have what they have. But bad comparison is demoralizing. And in many cases, you can't have what they have. It's just tormenting. And so let me talk about the curse of comparison. This is, this is the problem with comparison, some of the problems. Number one, it either produces arrogance or inferiority. We compare and I'm better than you, so I become proud. Or I compare and I'm less than you, so I feel inferior. Either way, comparison causes bad things to happen. The second problem or curse of comparison is it keeps me self-focused and focused on others rather than focusing on God. When I'm constantly comparing, it just means I'm, I'm not serving God. I don't have my eyes on God, Romans 8. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so when I'm comparing, it means I'm in the flesh. I'm constantly comparing cars, houses, watches, clothing, status. I'm always looking at things on the outside on this level, not on this level. 
But when I'm free from comparison, it means I'm free to serve God and I don't have to constantly you know, be equal or greater than everybody else in life. Another curse, this is a huge curse of comparison. On some level, it keeps me mistrustful of God and offended at him. And, you know, the, why do we compare? Because we think we got gypped. Really? You know, why did you, why did you make me like this, Lord? Why did, you, why did you do this? Were you distracted? You know, did you run out of parts? Something will never be right in our relationship with God until we sincerely thank Him for who we are and what we are and where we are. See, comparison, honestly, is, a, is an offense at God. You're not, you're not doing your job. You did something wrong, and I want what they have. That's what it is. It also causes me to be resentful and rejecting of others who have what I want. When you're living in comparison, many times you have a very difficult time relating to people who are better off than you are. It's easy to relate to people who are lower, but if someone is better than me, it's very difficult for me to relate to them. We had a couple in the church in Amarillo, and they were in a life group, and the leaders of their life group um, had a real financial blessing happen to them, and they bought a new house. And this couple left the church because they said that their life group leaders were worldly because they bought a new house. And this couple that left the church constantly struggled financially. And the reason they left is because the life group leaders got what they wanted. See, if you resent people for having what you want, you know that you're in bondage. When people have something you want, you should bless them and congratulate them. And if you can't, it means something's wrong. Another curse of comparison is I try to be something I'm not in order to measure up and feel good about myself. Let me say this, the surest way to fail is to try to change an unchangeable. God made you in your mother's womb and he did not make a mistake. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You can't be anybody else. You, can't, you can only be you. I can only be me. I can't be somebody else. And sometimes when we're comparing, literally sometimes we're actually trying to be somebody else. And I'm going to fail. I can't be anybody else. God made all of us unique. God made all of us the way that we are. And we can only succeed if we accept who God made us to be and do that. Another curse of comparison is it's an open door for the devil to work. This is James 3. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Most comparisons based on envy. I envy something that you have. Envy is a feeling of discontentment or covetousness with regard to another person's advantages, success, or possessions. And by the way, the Bible says that the Pharisees delivered Jesus up to death because they were envious. The Pharisees wanted the popularity and the power of Jesus. And since they didn't have it, their answer was to kill him. Envy was the reason that Dathan and Abram rebelled against Moses. That's what the Bible says. Envy is a boundary violation. Not allowing a person's sovereign space to possess and be blessed. Envy refuses to allow God to do for someone else what he hasn't done for me. Envy refuses to recognize God's sovereign right to parent as he pleases. It's crowding God and not allowing him 
to be the parent that he wants to be. Here's some things that we need to think about when we think about you know, comparing ourselves to other people. And the first is no one gets the whole package. You may look at another person and you see something that they have, but no one gets the whole package. So wherever, we're, wherever we are profoundly gifted, we're profoundly ungifted somewhere else. One of my friends in high school was the smartest guy in school. He was brilliant. And uh, I don't know why he ran around with me, but um, he was also the dumbest guy I ever knew. He called me one time and said, Evans, my car won't start. Come over and help me. It was out of gas. <laughs> and he was academically brilliant, but in common sense, he had none of it, none of it whatsoever. So anytime you see a person gifted here, they're not gifted over here. The, another thing that we need to think about is the greater a person's influence, the less their impact. The more your impact, the less your influence. Let me say this, a mother versus a teacher. Who has more impact on a child, a mother or a teacher? A mother. A teacher has influence, a mother has impact. Teachers obviously have impact. The greatest impact is here. You take, Pastor Robert and I, we're on television all the time. We influence people, but we don't impact people the way that a life group leader does. Or a pastor that's hands-on with someone. When you see some, many times we want influence. We, we want to be bigger and known by more people or whatever, but we lose our impact. When you're loving two or three or five or 10 people, you have more impact than anybody else in life. Here's another thing that I love. This is 1 Corinthians 12. God gives the most profound giftings in people and places we least expect. This is 1 Corinthians 12. In those members of the body we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Did you know, did you know that the most profoundly gifted people are the people that we wouldn't think are profoundly gifted? Worldliness has cursed the church because the world says, if you're, go if you're going to be a minister and if you're going to change lives, you need to look like this and you need to be dynamic, and you need to be charismatic, and you do this. Did you know that the average person has the most profound giftings in the body? Because God overlooks nobody. And he wants us to respect each other and not to judge each other based on appearance or status or something like that. I'm saying, I'm saying this to some of you. Some of, some of you maybe look at yourselves as being simple or ordinary. Can I, can I tell you something? The church is built upon simple people who love Jesus. Thank God, whatever you do for a living, if God has gifted you in the body, you are needed in the body. And some of you that think of yourselves in very ordinary ways, you have a profound, everyone's gifted by God. Everyone in the church is gifted by God. So don't look at somebody else's gift. I'm saying you're profoundly gifted. Another thing, the greater the size, level, and responsibility or influence, the greater the stress. We want to be president. We want to have great ministry. We want to have a great business. We want to be a billionaire. But sometimes what you don't understand is the people that are there are very stressed out. It's, it's the, it's, it has a tremendous burden that comes with it. Here's another one, uh, another problem for consideration. Many times we're all feeling insecure at the same time and are coveting different things about each other. Five people in a room, one person wishes they had somebody else's marriage. Another person wishes they had somebody else's skin. Another person wishes they had their house, another their ministry, another their friends. We're all insecure in some areas. And we all compare in different areas. But many times a group of people, everybody's comparing at the same time. 
This is, this is one thing that I, I think of a lot. Everybody has pain. Everybody has pain. Many times we compare and we one-dimensionalize people and objectify them. And we don't understand that everybody has pain. I had a friend that I knew in Amarillo and I worked out with him for years. We worked out at the same place and we lockered next to each other. He's about 20 years older than me. And we were, uh, we just kind of developed a friendship. I didn't know that he was filthy rich. He just owned, you know, just half the panhandle. And uh, many years later, you know, being a preacher, I'd ask him for money if I knew that, but uh, <laughs> not really. I didn't know, I didn't know him, but we just felt a great friendship and he liked me. And so every now and then he would, uh, he would invite me to go out to eat lunch. And so we would go out to eat lunch. And so one time we ate lunch and at the end of lunch, I said uh, to him, uh, what do you have going on this week? Again, very wealthy guy, very successful guy. He said, I'm going to find my daughter. And I said, where's your daughter? He said, well, she's on the street somewhere. He was 80 years old. We were having this lunch. She was 80 years old. And I said, why would she be on the streets? She said, she has schizophrenia. We're, he said, Jimmy, you need to be praying for my wife and me. At 80 years old, we're raising our 13-year-old grandson, and we're about to die. He said, we just, physically, we just can't do it. And he said, but I'll go to Seattle. I'll go to Los Angeles. I'll go to New York City. I'll go to Chicago. And he said, eventually, I'll find her somewhere on the streets. It's easy to drive by somebody's house or look at someone and just to think, I wish I looked like them. I wish I had their house or whatever. But you have to take their pain. Everybody has pain. Peter is an example. You want to be the preeminent apostle? Great. So you're going to be crucified upside down? You can't just take the blessing. You have to take everything that comes with it. Causes of comparison. The first is lack of acceptance in who God made me to be. Matthew 22 says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have to love yourself in order to love other people. You say, well, why should I love myself? Because God made you. You're not an accident. You are, you are the creation of God and you are a miracle. You're created in the image of God. You are. Another is lack of security and identity in God. It's seeking security through people or through society or through status. Jeremiah 17. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. He shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see good when it comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. In a salt land which is not inhabited, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. He shall be like a tree planted by waters which spreads out its roots by its river and will not fear when heat comes, but its sleep will be green and will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. We need to be people that we are rooted in God and that our, our self-concept, our, our sense of self-identity and self-esteem it comes from who we are in God and not who other people say that we are. Lack of identity. Another is greed. This means excessive desire. Wanting more than I need and more than God has for me. I, have to, I need to be content with what God has for me in life and not be greedy for more. Another uh, reason for comparison is the wrong concept of God. Interpreting his supposed greater blessings on other people means he loves them more. He loves all of us the same. He loved Peter and John the same. John, by the way, died of loneliness, basically. He died of old age, exiled on the island of Patmos. He's the only disciple that we know of that did, was not martyred, okay? So you say, would you rather be crucified at 65 years old or to die lonely on an island? 
It's a toss-up. It's a toss-up. Everybody has pain. Everybody has pain. God loves all of us the same. Don't ever look at somebody else's body. Don't ever look at somebody else's blessings and think that God loves them more. God loves you just as much as he loves them. And God has a great plan for your life. Another reason for comparison is a lack of love for others. Agape versus phileo. You say, well, why, why would Peter want to know that John was going to suffer like him? Pettiness and lack of love. If you really love someone, you want something good for them. If you don't love them, you resent them when something good happens to them. Another is covetousness. Covetousness means to desire wrongfully, inordinately, or without due regard for the right of others. In other words, it's a boundary violation. Jealousy and envy is another one. Jealousy means feeling resentment against someone because of that person's rivalry, success, or advantages. Envy, a feeling of discontent or covetousness with regard to another's advantages, success, or possessions. And here's a way to look at jealousy and envy. Jealousy is generally about people. Envy is about things. And when I look at relationships and I become jealous or I look at uh, what you owe, own, and I become jealous, that's one of the reasons that we compare. Let me talk about curing comparison. This is, this is the cure for comparison, how to overcome it. And the first is thank God for who he's made me to be. Let me, let me say this. If, if you struggle with this issue, one of the practices that you should do every day is to say in your prayer time, God, thank you for who you made me to be what you made me to be, and where I am. Thank you, Lord. And if you can't do that, you have a problem with God. If you, ha if you can't do that, it means you reject who God made you to be. That, that's at the foundation of why we compare. The second is trust God with my needs, desires, and to make me into the person I want to become. In other words, we, we go to God and say, Lord, in my mother's womb, you created me to be something. Help me be that. I don't want to live to be like my friends. I want to live to please you and to fulfill your will for my life. I don't want to live with my eyes on everybody else comparing. I want to live with my eyes on you serving. I trust you with my needs. I trust you with the, the reason that you made me to be and the, the, you know, the goal that you have for my life. I trust you for that. And here's the other one that's so critical. Trust God with other people and stop interfering with his work in their lives. Let God be God in the life of others. When one of your friends is blessed, when one of your friends gets a raise, they get a new car, they need to get a new house or whatever, celebrate with them and say, thank God. Thank God, good for you, good for you. I'd love to have one of those one day, but in the meantime, I'm just gonna celebrate with you. I'm just glad that I have a friend that has a house like that. It's miserable. One of the curses of comparison is you live a life of misery and you can't rest. It's just a life of misery. The last thing is bless others and their advantages and be a giver and encourager. Celebrate with other people the way that we should. Peter turned to John. Jesus was restoring Peter. He was going to have a phenomenal ministry and change the world. But rather than focusing on that, Jesus turned to Peter and said, one day, Peter, someone's going to lead you where you don't want to go. And this is how you're going to die. And rather than Peter looking at Jesus and say, well, at least I'm going to serve you. And at least I'm going to be able to honor you in the way that I live and honor in the way that I die. Rather than 
focusing on what Jesus said to him and did for him, he immediately turned and compared. And Jesus had no, no tolerance for it. And he said, if I want that man to live forever until I come, what is that to you? In all of our lives, we have this tendency to compare, but it's a curse. All it does is ruin the, the joy of our lives and change the focus from God to people. I want you to bow your heads with me if you would. Lord, we thank you that you have made us uniquely. We thank you that you have created us to be individuals with a unique purpose for our lives. And the truth is, we just can't be anybody else. We have the body that we have. We have the DNA that we have. We have the position that we have. Not that we don't want more, but Lord, we're content where we are. We're thankful for who you made us to be. We're thankful for the unique person with the giftings and blessings that we have. And rather than living the rest of our lives miserable with low self-esteem, jealous and envious, we reject that. We repent of that. And for the rest of our lives, we want to live to please you and to fulfill your purpose and destiny for our lives. We surrender to your Lordship. We thank you for who you've made us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.